You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Housing for the Aged Action Group, Hague for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. Uh, that's right. Welcome to Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Age Action Group show here on 3CR 855am. Uh, my name's Shane and I'm here with Fiona. How are you doing, Fiona? Hi, Shane. How are you? Good. Actually, we just before the recording, we both said we're in a terrible mood today. So bear, bear with us as we snipe and harass each other for the next half hour. Um, the last week, HAG had its annual general meeting, our first ever uh, online AGM, thanks to COVID, obviously. Uh, which went, I, I think went, went quite well. Um, yep. One of the things that we launched or one of the things that happened at the AGM was the launch of a new report that HAG has just um, chucked up on our website. Um, mm-hmm. Fiona, do you want to talk about that and why it's important at the moment? Yeah, so um, we'll be hearing shortly from Claire, the researcher, but um, it was actually really good timing because during the week that that was, report was released, there was a big announcement by the Victorian um, state government that was roundly applauded by the sector as being um, bringing bringing Victoria into away from its terrible uh, history of having not invested in social housing for a long time. Um, So it was 5.8, was it 5.8 billion dollars? No, 5.3, sorry, billion dollars for affordable housing and for social housing. And the government certainly talked up public housing a lot during this announcement. So um, the minister was talking about how public housing is close to his heart, how he was a tenancy worker um, in public housing as a young man, and how he's always really advocated for public housing in his electorate and more broadly. Um, And the same sort of message was repeated by different people across all of the various announcements. But when you drilled down into the detail of the announcement, it looks like there's actually not a great deal for public housing. Um, So they announced that there will be 9,300 social housing dwellings um, as part of that $5.3 billion. Most of that $5.3 billion is going to what's called affordable housing. And that's not really been clearly defined. Um, But in terms of the public housing, 9,300 housing units, but of those 1,100 are existing public housing that are being replaced. Um, Of the remaining 8,200, all of that will be managed by community housing providers. So not managed by the government. And some will be owned by community housing and some will be owned by government and managed by community housing. So this represents a big shift away from public housing transferring stock to the community housing sector. Which um, has been the, the government's pro, bipartisan policy of Victorian governments over many decades. Um, and, and also throughout other states as well. Um, yeah, it's not, not surprising, I guess. Yeah. 
So, I mean, just to, to summarise briefly, if I can, so the, the three kinds of housing we're talking about, public housing, good, community housing, eh, affordable housing, nah. Um, we'll go through that in more detail a bit later, but that's that's the quick summary. Yeah, that's a good summary. Um, I think the other, the other thing that um, is a real change for Victoria is that there will no longer be what used to be called the Ministry of Housing and more recently is the Office of Housing. Um, people, uh, we had a Director of Housing who was responsible for that. Now they're forming a government-owned corporation called Homes Victoria. Um, and that will be run by a board that consists of um, government from different departments, different bureaucrats from different departments, but also most disturbingly developers private developers who will be sitting on that board and making decisions about how public land is utilised um, and I'm going to suggest maximised for their profit, but we'll guess we'll see. And how that's actually going to work remains to be seen, but again, it's a shift in terms of shifting away from publicly owned land and publicly owned housing into um, privatisation, either via um, developers or via community housing providers. So um, what's the report that we launched? Yeah, so timely as it is, Claire's been doing some research looking at the experiences and the legislation differences between public and community housing. And she's found that there are some differences. So we have an interview that we recorded just a couple of minutes ago with Claire um, and she goes into some of what she found. Um, so we'll go into that now. 3CR, here to stay. Okay, so we're joined today by Claire Hurran, who is a social work student um, who's been doing some research for us here at HAG, looking at the experiences of older tenants living in public housing versus those that are living in community housing. Um, so how are you today, Claire? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, we're excited to have you. It's very timely, this research, um, so we're really excited to hear about what you found. So what was the original idea um, when you first undertook this research? What were you thinking? Well, the research topic was chosen in response to social housing policy in Victoria, and that's involving an increasing shift away from the provision of public, um, government-owned and managed public housing to the growing community housing sector, you know, managed by non-government organisations. And the idea behind that was to better understand the impact of the shift on the lived experiences of older tenants who are either applying for or living in public and community housing. And um, that research specifically focused on older tenants in recognition of the increasing rates of homelessness and housing stress among Australia's older population. So people aged 55 plus, was that the cutoff or? That's right, yes. Yeah, yeah I think that the that older people also make up the fastest growing section of the, the social housing kind of market or uh, yeah, population. That's right. Um, so how did you go about researching that? Um, I conducted in-depth interviews with 18 tenants all up. Half of those, so nine, were living in public housing and the other nine were living in community housing. And um, when talking to the, the tenants, I asked questions about their experience of applying for, accessing and living in public or community housing. And the questions were structured around key tenancy policies, such as rent setting, maintenance and modifications, as well as how well tenants um, understood or could access information about their rights. And um, I also interviewed five housing support workers from Housing for the Aged Action Group, 
and these interviews focused on the workers' experiences in supporting prospective tenants through the housing offer and sign-up process for both public and community housing. And so what, what were the differences? Um, did you find any um, you know, noticeable differences between the experiences of people living in public housing versus people living in community housing? Yeah, there were some pretty significant differences that stood out. Um, maybe I'll start with the experiences from the housing support workers. Um, so the biggest difference there was in the decision-making guidelines and the policies for selecting tenants and making an offer of housing. For example, for public housing, processes for tenant selection and housing offers were described as consistent and transparent. And housing offers are consistently prioritised to applicants at the top of the Victorian Housing Register, the centralised waitlist. And those selections are made according to demonstrated need and housing suitability. Um, the other thing for public housing was that rent policies were transparent and clearly communicated to tenants when they signed the residential tenancy agreement. And the other significant thing for public housing was that um, the housing allocated specifically to applicants over 50, over 55, sorry, it's often already modified to support accessibility and mobility and enabled them to age in place. Whereas for community housing, the responses were more varied. Um, the tenant selection and housing offer process was less transparent. Um, housing allocations are not necessarily targeted to applicants at the top of the wait list. And there are different processes uh, or different steps that a tenant might have to go through before being approved for an offer. Um, and the, the report found that, um, that these different processes allow for greater discretion when providers are selecting a tenant. And the experiences of housing support workers indicated a tendency for community housing um, providers to preference tenants that they perceive to be less problematic um, or with high incomes and low support needs. And discrimination against tenants based on income and health um, was one of the things that really stood out. Um, so, sorry, Fanny, you were going to say something? I was just going to say, so basically the housing support workers have noticed that if their tenants um, seem like they might be easier for the, for the landlord um, in terms of their needs or, or their income, then they're going to be more likely to be selected. Um, but, but, but not so much for people, say, on... Um, job keeper or job seeker or whatever it's called now. Yeah, that's right. So one of the housing support workers reported that it was really, really difficult to get um, tenants on job seeker um, and offer in community housing. Yeah. And they attribute that to the, the, the economics that, that the provider won't get the money that they want as a percentage of that income? Yeah, exactly. It seemed to conflict with the financial goals of the organisation. Yeah, I mean, I've said this before, but I found when when it comes to to rent arrears, um, sorry, sorry, I'm just going to hijack our interview with you to talk about my my experience. Um, the you know when a, when public housing takes someone to the tribunal for rent arrears, they'll give them as much time as they want to pay it off. The um, you know, like if the tenant needs three years to pay back that amount, well, it's just the government, like who cares? They can have three years. And as long as they stick to that scheduled repayment agreement, that's fine. Community housing takes you to VCAT. 
they want their money back now because they have like much less kind of margin of flexibility. Like if they don't get that money now, their budget is going to, going to be, sorry, I'm trying to think of a word I can say on the radio. Like it's going to mess up their budget. Um, so they, they advocate very strongly for the tribunal to actually evict people rather than allowing them a reasonable time to, to repay these amounts a lot of the time. Um, it's the end of my digression. I was interested, like, I don't know if you would have got into this with the kind of sample size you're looking at, but did you, um, you know, without naming any names, did you see that different, like different standards within community housing, like were some providers better than others or? Um, yeah, possibly. So there were some tenants who had a really positive experience in community housing and just um, some minor issues around that. Whereas there are other tenants who had distinctly negative experiences and um, it was, I mean, when you break it down to the community housing tenants, that's only nine, so it's too small to um, um, yeah. say anything conclusive. But yeah, it did seem that there were differences within that. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of the stuff you're talking about as well wouldn't necessarily be things that, that affect the subjective experience of, of the tenant. You know, if you've moved into community housing, then it's, you know, not so much a concern for you that someone on New Start wouldn't have been able to. Mm. Um, which, which is kind of interesting to think about. Were there any findings that were kind of particularly striking or surprising to you? Um, yeah, there were. And I guess the, the level of discretion that community housing providers have when selecting tenants is one of the things that really stood out. And um, when you think about the, the impact that that has on people who are in urgent need for housing and are sometimes denied access because they're perhaps perceived to be a less desirable tenant, um, you know, the, the risk they face and the prolonged exposure to homelessness and housing stress is quite confronting. Absolutely. And how, uh, I was just going to ask about, we talked about the differences for the housing support workers in accessing housing, but, but how did the tenants, how did the tenants respond? Um, like I know my, I've got friends that live in community housing and I know that they often find the rent setting really confusing um, and they get letters that are almost unfathomable. I'm wondering how the tenants um, that you spoke to found that in terms of rent setting and in terms of getting repairs done. Yeah, um, that's a good point that you raised and the, that um, was mirrored in the, the findings of the research as well. So for community housing tenants, um, most of them were really unclear on how their rent was set. They weren't sure if they're paying more than 30% of their income. There were some tenants um, housed by the same provider on the same income who were paying different amounts. And um, the impact was, was pretty um, severe on these tenants that some of them were um, unable to afford other basic necessities um, and were afraid to complain or, or if they did ask for clarity that wasn't provided to them. Um, and the other thing was some tenants had difficulty around modifications if they needed something done to the property to make it more accessible or safer for them. That was an issue. That was something that couldn't be provided. Um, whereas overall, public housing tenants were quite happy with their tenancy and they experienced their housing as a haven. And the findings indicate that this is strongly linked to the security of their tenancy, um, the transparent and reliably affordable rent, the ability to have the property adapted if they need to for health reasons or accessibility, um, and the responsiveness of their housing management. And you know, the tenants explained how this provided a really stabilizing and in fact life sustaining foundation for them. 
especially people that have been homeless previously, I imagine having, yeah, that, that sense of gratitude for having a house, um, I'm sure cuts across both types of tenancies. Um, so in terms of, there's just been a big announcement for, um, the big housing stimulus package that the state government has announced last week. Um, and it's $5.3 billion for, um, what they're calling affordable housing and social housing. Um, drilling down to that announcement a little bit closer, it looks like a lot of that is at the expense of public housing, so transferring um, responsibility for tenancy management away from government to not-for-profit community housing providers. Do you think that your research project has any kind of learnings or lessons um, regarding, regarding this, or, or what do you think the next steps are um, for us and for the government in terms of these findings? Um, yeah, I think there's definitely some lessons. Um, the report quite clearly demonstrated a need for better regulation of community housing, um, particularly to ensure fair and transparent, tra sorry, transparent allocation of housing to applicants on low incomes or with complex health and support needs. And also to ensure that rents are more clearly communicated to tenants and that they don't exceed 30% of their income um, and the other point, I guess, is that the, the findings clearly stress the importance of protecting and investing in public housing. It was a secure, affordable and non-discriminatory housing option for all tenants. And it also, the report also demonstrated that tenancy policies and processes work really well when they're transparent, consistent and equitable. So if the government is investing in community housing, then that's something would need, that would need to apply. Um, and one of the other recommendations was that all public land currently used for public housing be retained for the renewal and expansion of public housing. Cool. Was there anything else that um, from the report that you'd like the listeners to know about? Um, it's a really long read, but I think it's a really worthwhile read. It's, um, uh, I think it really brings to light how um, policies have a, a very um, strong impact on the lived experiences of people and um, it matters. Yeah, so we can, we've got your report um, up on our website um, and we have sent it around to some of the decision makers in government and I guess like you alluded to it's not a huge sample size but we think that it could be replicated um, and and we can actually see what's happening on, happening for tenants across the board so Dan, did you have any other final comments? Yeah, I, I mean, when you say it can be replicated, like these, these aren't findings that are simply anecdotal where you might say, oh, there's, there's nine people or whatever. Like the, these are like actual facts about policy. Like there's a, there are actual factual undeniable differences between the allocations policies from one tenure to the next, you know. This is a great like selection of case studies and things like that, but it's, it's not just a pile of anecdotal data. Um, yeah. It, it, it's an, yeah, it's an objective comment on the system. Yeah, and I also think for listeners that are confused about the difference between public and community housing, um, Claire's done a fantastic job of articulating how the policies interact, and she's got a table in the appendices that actually lays out all of the different pieces of law and legislation and regulation that governs both types of housing. So if you are confused and you want to go into a bit of detail, or even if you know heaps and you want to know more, 
um, I would recommend having a look at that because it really is very, very clear and it was a lot of work, Claire. So well done for digging through all of that to, to get that document together. Thank you. Um, so like I mentioned, we'll put the link to the report on in the show notes and um, yeah, we look forward to being able to use your data for our advocacy work. So thanks again for your work and for coming in today. That's right. Thanks for having me in. Thank you. G'day, my name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 on your dial. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Uh, you're listening to 3CR, 855 AM. Uh, my name's Shane. I'm here with Fiona. This is Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show. Um, we've just been talking about the difference between public and social housing. Um, if you would like to hear me personally rant some more about that, um, I was on last week's City Limits show, also here on 3CR, um, that you can still listen to on the website with Howard Morosi from I can't remember which public housing group he's from. How embarrassing. Friends of public housing. Friends of? Okay, great. Uh, sorry if I... Sorry, Howard. Um, more detail there. The um, We are almost out of time for today's episode. So let us leave you with some contact information. Get your pen and paper ready. Get your mobile phone ready, wherever you're going to put this down. If you're an older person in Victoria who would like um, some help with a housing problem, housing issue that you're dealing with, Um, or you'd like to get involved with some of our policy and lobbying work, you want to help advocate for good, secure uh, public housing for older Victorians, um, give us a call and get involved. Our numbers are 9654 7389 or uh, toll-free 1300 765 178. That's 1300 765 178. Um, You can also check out our website, oldertenants.org.au, where you'll find that report. Uh, Find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter. Um, That's, that's, I think that's all of our social media for now, but surely, surely surely more later. We are going to leave you with a song. What's the song? It's Kate Bush running up that hill, because that's what I feel like we're doing right now. So, yeah, (laughs) let's, um, let's see you again in a fortnight, hey? See ya. It won't be a fortnight, actually, but okay. Okay. Bye.